from the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go on this Monday. Cofield and Company following up the NFL draft. Looking ahead to another series with the Vegas Golden Knights. Of an update on the Oakland A's, maybe the Las Vegas A's at some point. Adam Hill is here as the company. Ari is in as well. You were busy yesterday, right? You were still doing all the post-draft stuff? Yeah, a lot of uh, grading, grading the picks, grading the draft. People love the grades. Love them. Uh, and yeah. they mean a lot. <laughs> They're very meaningful. And uh, it's I, good to, I, You know what? It is good to go back like two, three years later and see what the grades were. Do you ever go back and look at your grades? Yeah, uh, for sure. And I also, I mean, I said it in the in the piece. I said, look, you don't really know the, the grades for a couple of years, but – uh, you can analyze like how they kind of approached it, how they formulated a plan, how they stuck to their plan, and and all that sort of thing. So uh, you can do that, and it's not really necessarily relevant to how the player ends up. It's it's you know how the decision went, and um, all those things are going to be judged over a period of time. I think the Raiders draft is going to take even longer than most uh, to judge. I mean, the Seahawks draft from last year we know was amazing uh, because those guys contributed so much right away. Um, but I think the Raiders looked like they were drafting for two, three years down the road, which it's probably the right approach. So I think they uh, probably came out fairly well. I thought there was a couple questionable picks along the way. But um, a lot of moving pieces when you're trying to grade drafts for sure. But to your point, I look at how many people are reading my gra- draft grades and it's astronomical. So right. yeah. people are interested. We always uh, – I'll tell you – The, the you, people who do not want to c- connect with you folks will bitch and moan about draft grades. Like, they don't mean anything. They mean something if someone wants to read them. And people sure. want to read them. Uh, later on in the hour, we're going to talk to one of the guys from the 33rd team, one of their scouts, and I thought their I thought their grade page and their grade write-ups were really good. And a lot of it was based on, hey, what we think of the player. Sure. We, you know, like someone else might not like the player or think of, you know, the the way that organization is going to use that player. I'll tell you, draft grades are you know they're, they're dynamic. That means they're moving quite a bit. But um, the thing I'm working on right now is even less. Uh, scientific, I guess you could put it in that terms. I'm doing my 2024 mock draft. It'll come out Sunday. So, Love it. Uh, that Love is, it. I mean, that's a wild speculation, even on who's going to finish where uh, in, the, in, the, in the standings. But I know the organizations love that. I know the Raiders have loved that in the past. Sure. No question. Well, I'm going to do mine. A lot of people just try to guess at standings. Yeah. I'm doing mine reverse order of Super Bowl odds. That's a good way to do it. Yeah. Like, it's not my. How many not, times will you have to explain that? Because people won't, won't read the, the top. Once in the intro. They won't, they won't read the intro. <laughs> that's it. They won't read the intro. Uh, yesterday, I had a pool day, so I was out doing that. Had set that up about, I don't know, two months ago. Had some friends over. You scheduled a pool day two months out? I don't, I don't schedule these things. Oh, that's true. You know what I mean? That's true. Like, uh, once, once the uh, football and basketball seasons are over, the, uh, the weekends are someone else's. So. I, li- I like the thought of, I like it. I like the thought of a big group text at like noon, like, hey, let's have a pool day. Like, okay, that's, not, okay. yeah, that's not the way it's done. Especially if you have to clean up the house, it winds up being like a two-day project. But for you, it's, hey, let's have a pool day. Oh, should we come over in like an hour? No, no, no. I mean, two months from now. Right. Like, okay. Sure. Sure. Right. I'm sure. There were other reasons. We, that's, that's the way we do things. Everything's not very late. Uh, Ari was at the ballpark with the Lotus crew. You guys had a box. So how was it? It was awesome. Wait a minute, though. Do you RS? Do you have RSVPs for this two-month-out pool no, party? It was or? a small group. It was only. <laughs> it was like three people. It was four people. Right, I was just curious. Yeah. It was great yesterday. It was awesome, uh, except for the aviators. They kind of got their butts whooped. 
Uh, but it was a great time. It great looked, time. It looked awesome. I was very jealous. Good Everybody weather. Was out there. I was like, man, I wish, wish I could have known. Who'd, uh, who'd you talk to that maybe you didn't know that well that you had a good conversation with? Wow, put me on the spot. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I caught up with uh, an old guy, uh, an old former coworker here. Old guy, really? It's not old, just former. Yeah. Did someone crash the? No, no, he wasn't invited. Like he was a plus one. worker like that? He was a plus one. No, no, it was it was Clout. You guys were all Clay, safe? Clayton Hamilton, formerly of our oh, really? show. Yeah, he stopped yeah. by. Uh, yeah, that's no, nice. it's, it's about it. Uh, I said hi to Tony. Uh, you know, mostly I stick with my regular people. Yeah, very you disappointed know. that none of the CNC crew showed up. Yeah, I I'm had to hold that, it down, but I'm I guessing did. besides you and I, no one else knew about it. I I'm, I learned about it right email. now. Actually, I learned about it on Instagram when I started reposting pictures. Like, wow, it was a Lotus Day. Yeah, it was a big was Lotus nice. Day with nice. a, a box at the ballpark. Nice. Perhaps cool. check your emails a little yeah, more frequently. There's always, there's always an issue with the uh, in-house email sure. with these guys. Correct. It's like their 17th email. No one else. So they don't check it. We could, we could have communicated to them, but I completely forgot until you mentioned it. Uh, to communicate it to them because I knew I wasn't going to be able to go. So, well, yeah, the sports department though was in full force. Yeah, we we, we went hard. It was me, JRQ, Demon, everybody. Oh, good. So, all the uh, all the important people. Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say about four different things, and I I, I paused. So, <laughs> I don't want an email. Um, all right, so NFL draft. We'll get to the Raiders in a second. Uh, did you think the blockbuster team of the draft were the or was the Texans or the Eagles? Um. Texans were they made a big mistake obviously um the Eagles I would say would be the would be the the stars of the draft right. I mean and and it's easier look when you have extra picks and mm-hmm. you don't have glaring needs necessarily and you're trying to fill holes to you know potentially win a Super Bowl it's a little bit easier for sure I will say the stars of the draft often though are the team that picks a lot uh, a lot of recognizable faces sure. from big Absolutely. schools because I, I I do notice that if uh, someone's from off the radar, group of five, smaller school than that, uh, you know they're not going to get hailed as geniuses. And you know the Steelers pick a lot of guys who were from power five schools, and um, certain people liked. And the yeah. Eagles the same thing because they keep getting Georgia guys. And you know Jalen Carter, uh, good for them. I hope you know I hope it works out. I hope it works out for the Philly community. I hope it works out for the kid. You know keep your head on straight, play football, don't be a, a jerk, and it. Hopefully it'll work out. Hopefully he plays hard, too, because that was the other question going in. It wasn't just some of the off-the-field stuff yeah. and misbehaving. It was just his attitude and not working as hard as he could. But then, the, the, sorry, yeah. the other team, Seattle. I mean, my goodness. Like, they are they are brilliant. They know what they're doing. In the, in the they, now, they know what they're doing now, huh? Yeah. There smart. were years there where a lot of people were like, why do they keep taking guys who are not in our mock drafts? Right, exactly. Like They're jumping up and taking guys you know, two rounds early. Yeah, which sometimes. by the way is another. That's another really interesting way to grade a draft afterwards, because the entire league didn't agree with you, not you, right. but like with your mock draft, of course. which means your mock draft was probably wrong. That the prevailing yeah. thought on a player won out because if a guy slips, is it really slipping? Yeah, did Will Levis really slip, or we just all got caught in that hype machine circling on itself? Yeah, I mean it goes like just uh, not to. You know, get into mine or whatever, but my, you know, my first and second mock drafts that I did, you know, two months, three and a half weeks ago or whatever, weeks ago, months ago, uh, were far better than the ones right near the end because it's a lot of noise and it's a lot of, you know, things that are coming out and everybody mm-hmm. kind of, you know, you fall into it. And if you look back and I had, I said, Will Levis should fall, maybe even out of the first round. And then all of a sudden I'm like, well, he's going fourth. The Colts say they're, the Colts basically are saying they're picking him. I guess he's going fourth. So you, you kind of buy into the group think, 
a lot of people were right from the beginning on this, and then you know everybody kind of you know coalesced toward one thought, and that's how it ended up happening at the end. So the Raiders draft, they got aggressive. They moved up at certain spots. I actually think they were really smart, uh, smart not to move up. In another another instance, maybe they were saved from themselves. They take Tyree Wilson one. We'll get to him. I think I'm not going to call it the shocker of the draft, but the surprising pick of the draft in a draft that we thought hey, they're going to go all defense, was Michael Mayer. We'll break him down in a couple minutes. What kind of feedback did you get throughout the weekend on the pick of Tyree Wilson? He's maybe the most complicated evaluation. Really? Outside of Jalen Carter, uh, obviously for off-field things. Um, you know, Tyree Wilson going into the draft, and this is – I'm going to say this. This is not people reacting just because – because I – I referenced some of these things after they made the pick, and people were like, oh, everybody's just being negative because it's the Raiders. The Raiders made the pick, and everybody's going against it. No. Pro Football Focus, going in, had him as, I believe, the 26th best prospect in this draft. He was not in the top 25 players on the board in their draft. Um, the Football Outsiders, uh, there's a, a metric called Saxier. It's you know, it's an abbreviation for something. It's complicated, but I'll just tell you, it's pretty solid in terms of projecting who on the edge is going to play well at the next level. They had him as the eighth best edge defender uh, before the draft. And so this is not comparing because he went to the Raiders. Before the draft, it said somebody is going to take him in the top ten and it will be the worst top ten edge pick since Cleveland Furl. Oh, no. And that's before the Raiders took him. So, I mean, that's – and, again, that's just one site's evaluation. There's others that say through the roof. Now, the other thing that makes him complicated is that he's hurt. And that he wasn't able to do all the all the workouts at the combine and pro day, and so a lot of those metrics factor in how you perform at pro day and the combine. So it's hard to it's hard to project exactly what he would have done in the forty and the three cone, all those things. So you just have to kind of plug in numbers based on projections, and a lot of those are based on size. And he probably would have outperformed his size in those projections, so it would have been a little different. So there's a lot there. Now I will say, going into the draft, my my podcast breakdown, I was asked. Who in the top ten is going to be the biggest bust? And I said Tyree Wilson. Fortunately for the Raiders, somebody's going to be dumb enough to take him before they're on the clock. Oh boy! Now, Uh-oh. turns out that's not what happened. Yeah. He does. He did fall to them. But I also will say, and and I, I wrote this in my in my uh, draft grades. When you look back where they were, and I think we've gotten information since I wrote this uh, that this is accurate. When you look back at where they were in the draft, who was the alternative? Who would they have taken instead? And so you fall, you fall into this spot, like, yeah, I think you want to trade down. I think that would be all, the ultimate objective. That would be the ultimate goal. But if you look around, you weren't taking Jalen Carter. We know that now. He was off the board. So you're not taking him. So who are you taking? I think Tyree Wilson is the guy that you say, all right, look, he could hit. He could be successful. Let's take a shot on him because everybody else, I was very down on Christian Gonzalez, and it sounds like they were too. Um, and, and anybody else that was in, the, in, that, in that area – I don't. I don't think would have been as good a pick. So I think because of how the draft board fell, he was probably the right pick for them. But it is a hugely risk, risky pick. And I know uh, Chris Collinsworth, when he was doing his live draft show the other night, uh, when Tyree Wilson had fallen two seven before the Raiders picked, he said, "Look, there's a lot of teams that don't believe he'll ever be able to play in the NFL because of his foot, and that his foot is a real issue. The medicals don't check out for a lot of teams for something oh, wow. they do, and that he may never be able to play or at least play at a high level in the NFL because of his injury. So there's all those complicating factors." But you are kind of swinging for a home run here. That's what you're doing. Giveaway time, 364-1100, 364-1100. We've got uh, Reggae in the desert. 
four-pack right now. It's coming up this Saturday. You can get your tickets at reggaeinthedesert.com. It's at the Clark County Amphitheater. It's this Saturday, 11 a.m. start. Music, Caribbean food, uh, drink vendors all over the place. Really good, really good party. Reggae in the Desert. Ari's got a four-pack right now. You can get your tickets at reggaeinthedesert.com. 364-1100. Caller 7. Keep it locked right here. Cofield and Company will return in minutes on ESPN Las Vegas. So the Raiders draft is in. Tyree Wilson in the first, and Adam just laid out a lot of the reasons why it's a bit of a risky pick. And you were saying they got caught in a weird position because the guy – do you believe the guy they really wanted was Weatherspoon and Seattle shocked the hell out of him by taking him at five? Well, we we – you know, we kind of got some details because the Raiders did have a reporter embedded in the media room, which in the in the war room, which we didn't know uh, until you know a few hours ago, I guess. Um, so we got some of those details that they had basically a four way tie for who they wanted with the seventh pick, and the other three were off the board. Um, so it it would be interesting to find out who they would have taken, what order they had those guys in, but Witherspoon is definitely one of the four, uh, along with Will Anderson and Paris Johnson. And all three were gone, and so what would they would have? What would they have done if, say, Wilson and Weatherspoon were there, or Wilson and Johnson, or Wilson and Anderson would have been a real interesting case. I would imagine Anderson was number one out of that group. Um, but yeah, I mean, they had they went in thinking. Uh, apparently, the thought process was the all we need from the Raiders' perspective is three quarterbacks to go in the top six. And that will ensure that we get one of the players that we want, which is what happened. And apparently there was high fives and celebrating when the Colts did take a quarterback, right? Uh, which would ensure that the Raiders got one of the guys that they wanted. Um, and, and in this case, they didn't really have to make a choice because all, th- all three of the four were gone and Wilson was the only one remaining. So that's kind of how it fell. That's uh, what they went with. Um, how much uh, did information come out about how aggressively they did try to trade back? Or once Wilson was there, were they like, we're good with this? Yeah, it sounds like they, they at least thought about it. There were some conversations with the Cardinals, even. The Cardinals wanted to move up to their spot. Instead, the Cardinals moved up ahead of them uh, and took that pick. But apparently, um, the Cardinals were asking for the world um, in, a, in a couple of uh, other spots. Because the Cardinals wanted to trade down another spot, and there was a whole, like, there was a whole thing. But um, it sounds like you know the, the Raiders were pretty set once they had one of the players that they wanted uh, to do it. Now, if four of them would have been gone, that would have been interesting. If only two quarterbacks had been taken and the four guys that they wanted, I think they absolutely would have been a lot more aggressive in trading down, but they were only listening to offers, it sounds like, until the Cardinals actually did move up. They got to that sixth spot, and then they said, okay, now we've got only one player left that we really wanted. Let's go grab him. Sounded like the uh, the Jets got caught off guard when the Steelers moved in front of them yeah, to get Broderick Jones because then the Jets let the clock run out and then the pick came in, but it sounded like they were furiously trying to get the hell out of 15 to move back. Yeah, and it sounds it's, and those things the, happen sometimes. Sometimes you're blown, you know, like, oh, what? that was our guy. Now and, what? And it sounds like what the Patriots really were like, oh, let's screw over the Jets by doing this and they letting did. the Steelers move up because we know the Steelers are going to take the guy that they want. So let's make this happen. So that was, I mean, those are the pretty wild stories of the draft that you don't really learn, to, learn about till later, but they're fun. I was wondering how word gets out where teams know, you know, hey, we got to move up. Like, are there. I mean, are there moles? Is that how dirty it is uh, on these draft days? Are there moles in in certain locker or uh, war rooms? Well, I think it's more, you know, you st- what I believe, and I w- this actually would be a fascinating story at some point if, if GMs would actually talk about it. But what I believe is it's other, it's another team. So another team will be trying to move up, 
and they'll say, well, who are you trying to take? And like, well, we can't tell you that. But you can say, oh, if you're moving up here, that means you're taking this guy. Now we're going to go to this other team and say, hey, look, they're trying to trade up. Right. They're probably trying to get this guy. You better make this. Like, I think those are the deals right, that are happening. Right, right. Even if it's not specific names, you know if a team's trying to move, like what they're probably trying to do. So the, the picture you painted is that uh, Wilson is a bit risky for some organizations, right? Yeah. Um, I don't think Michael Mayer is risky, the tight end. I just don't know that they needed to spend a second rounder on a tight end. Now, there are some people that thought Michael Mayer, the tight end from Notre Dame, is a top 15 player in the draft. And did we officially get word on, were the Raiders trying to trade back into the first to yes. grab Mayer? Yes. Which is really interesting. So who saved them from having to spend more capital to go get Mayer? Yeah. Uh, I think there's a couple teams probably that, that turned them down. <laughs> that turned them down. Yeah. Uh, to try to, to that we're trying to move up, so um, yeah, I think that's that's fascinating to know that that was the guy that they absolutely wanted, and that's who they, they ended up getting. And I, I've heard a lot of people say, "Hey, tight end wasn't a need." Yeah, it is. Um, you obviously you traded Darren Waller. You've got Austin Hooper and OJ Howard. They have something in common. They both signed one year deals. Mm-hmm. Like they're only here one year, mm-hmm. and so you can have Mayor develop behind them. Maybe I mean, there's no guarantee uh, OJ Howard makes the team. I would think, but. Um, you can de- develop him behind them, be ready next year to to break out and be the guy. And again, I think the Raiders draft for the most part indicated that they don't think they're competing this year. Like they got Tyree Wilson, project long term injured. They got Michael Mayer to sit behind two starting tight ends. Um, they've got they made a lot of picks that I, I was like, oh, that's interesting. That's not for this year. Uh, and so that's what I think a lot of the draft was, which I think is the right move. It's why I thought the draft was pretty good, uh, but. It's it's kind of a, a running theme through the draft that I don't think that they got a lot of guys that they were like, oh, this guy will help us win games right now. And Mayer's a guy I think will. I think he'll be a, an impactful player. He's very talented. He can block as well as get open and catch balls in traffic. Like He's everything you want out of a tight end, but he's not a, an area of immediate need. So I think that they said, look, this is a guy that's going to help us two, three years down the road. This year, over-under catches, Michael Mayer, 30 and a half. Wow, I was going to set it at, at 37 and a half. So we're not too far off. 30 and a half catches. I'll take over with, with, with Hooper on the roster. And like you said, OJ Howard, I have no idea now. I don't know if he's going to be on the roster. I'll take over 30 and a half. Okay. So you think it'll be the second tight end? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For sure. And again, I, he's, he's. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there who assume that, hey, this guy was the best pass catching tight end and most complete tight end. Might not be the best pass catcher, yeah, but most, but most most complete tight end that he's going to walk right into the Raiders, and he should be starting, and he should challenge for you know a a fifty catch season. Which, by the way, tight, the tight end adjustment to the NFL is not always easy because you know we see in Atlanta Kyle Pitts is still kind of scuffling to get it together going to his third year. Well, he isn't a quarterback. His first year was pretty solid. The second year was a disaster. Yeah. No quarterback. I mean, it's it's an issue, uh, but yeah, and, and that's that's part of it. I mean, you have to you have to go into the right system. You have to find a system that's going to get you looks and get you you know plays that are going to work for you, and also a quarterback that can throw it to you. Like those are things that have to happen for you. So I hadn't thought of the whole hey they were drafting for a little bit of both, maybe more about the coming years when I was trying to figure out why they drafted Trey Tucker. Who well, is a 5'9", 185-pound receiver. Special teams, probably. But they have DeAndre Carter, who's about the same exact size. They have Renfro, who's you know super productive. He's the same size. So it's like, where does this guy fit in? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting in that it, it probably means that there's moves coming on the death chart for the Raiders in terms of somebody being out. But um, one of the other things that I thought that they did, which was look to the future and then find guys with a trait. Right, and for in his case, it's speed, unbelievably fast. One of the faster players uh, that was in the draft, especially at the position, they went out and said, "Look, there's a lot of question marks about him. Uh, his hands, in particular, are kind of a question. He's he was productive, but he's a guy that he loves contact, despite being tiny, which doesn't really work at the next level. Uh, but he's got a ton of speed, and I think they said, "We'll draft the speed. Maybe that comes in. Maybe that develops into something. Hmm. Like let's find something something that guys do well." And then figure out a way to use them, which I think is is kind of a Patriots philosophy, as well. Uh, we learned, oh man, we learned another interesting Patriots philosophy that they've adopted in, in Las Vegas from Peter King as well. Uh, but it, it seems to be a, a Patriots philosophy thing of hey, get a trait, figure out what we can do with them, let's make that work somehow. But definitely not a need they have right now, and probably not a guy that's going to contribute right away. What was the uh, the Pete King Patriots so, move that may have been executed by Ziegler or McDaniel's? Well, so. They draft uh, Tyree Wilson in the first round. They call him up, hey, we're going to pick you, can't wait, let's go. They make the draft, and then they call back, and they do like, you know, coaches, when we see these calls on, on you know, that get released on Twitter and things, it's like five seconds, right? A coach, hey, congratulations, you're a Raider, we're going to pick you, we love you, we'll see you soon. And then they call back, and they have a real conversation, like, hey, can't wait to talk to you, whatever. Apparently, the real conversation that Josh McDaniels had was, hey, you're about to speak to the media. Do this, do this, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Literally the first conversation he has yeah. is how to deal with the media. Like, okay. That seems to be a Patriots a Patriots philosophy tied over of like, you're not saying anything. Right, train him, train him from the get-go. Which he may not have listened because one of the things that Josh Matendo said is do not discuss any kind of timeline about your foot. And Tyree Wilson was asked about his foot. He said, I'll be ready for training camp. Wow, Okay. So I don't think he listened to that part of it. <laughs> Again, this is reporting from Peter King. I'm, I'm, yeah. We don't know that we didn't see this. This is not a video thing that came out. But right. Peter King said that he told him specifically, do not talk about a timeline, to which uh, our friend Miles Simmons, who is the co-host of the Peter King podcast, said, wait, wait, wait. I watched that. He came right out and gave a timeline on his foot. And Peter King's like, well, maybe he didn't listen. Yeah. Doesn't mean but they, they always didn't, listen. Didn't Doesn't happen. mean they always process. You might be a little nervous and not hear everything you're told. <laughs> that's, that's true. Next round of the playoffs is coming up in the NHL a couple of days before the Knights get back on ice. They're going to take on the Oilers, and as the second uh, second round commences, man, the story that we talked about a little bit because ESPN National was so fixated on the topic about two weeks ago with Gary Bettman. What happens if the Bruins' all-time great regular season team doesn't? Win the cup. Well, we found out early in the playoffs. What a freaking shocker as the uh, Panthers move on. Bruins out. Listen to Cofield and Company in the press box all week long for your chance to win tickets to reggae in the desert. Saturday, May 6th at the Clark County Government Amphitheater. For more info or to purchase tickets, go to reggaeinthedesert.com. Yeah, that was crazy. Interesting reference to Hindenburg. A little bit old. It's accurate. Uh, it's a disaster. It's a disaster. Like all we'll get- this excitement for all the great success and, yep. oh, let's th- see this thing launch. Oh, <laughs> it's a Hindenburg. Out in the first round. I don't think – I don't have a problem with it. I I didn't like that he did – I mean, he didn't really have it ready. He's like, uh, it ends like the Hindenburg-like ending. Like, all right, I, that's that's rough. I don't know. The actual Hindenburg reference I think was fair. So what happened? 
Playoff hockey, man. It's crazy. You do not want to be the best regular season team in the NHL ever. Doesn't seem like it. I mean, there's, there's a quite a history of we going of like 11, eleven years now, something like it's, that. But I mean, look, that's that's not that surprising. I mean, obviously, there's you know, there's so much parity that can happen. There's so much uh, chaos that can happen in NHL playoffs. Like you don't expect necessarily uh, the best team in terms of the regular season to win every year, but. Uh, we've had now mo- two times in a row a team has set the record for best regular season and then flamed out in the first round. Yeah, I mean, the first round's a crazy part, and you're right. These are all-timer teams. Yeah. It's wild. Good news for the Knights and the Oilers. Well, good news for everyone who wants to win a cup, right? Sure. They're out. The field has got thinned down a bit. Butchie's old team has it stuck to him. Bruce Cassidy, right? They got rid of him. Yeah. Oh, onward, onward and upward. We're going to be even better. Cassidy's still coaching. The Bruins not. I'm sure he will not say anything publicly about being excited about that, but I'm sure privately he did a little celebration. All right, so for you, what does the playoff picture look like now? Well, I guess the new favorites overall are the Toronto Maple Leafs, but they never win, so (laughs) it's going to be tough. That was – you know, that was my Eastern Conference pick coming in, so I'm feeling a little bit better about that uh, with Edmonton versus Toronto in the Stanley Cup final, which I think would be a very historic throwback to a to a different time of all Canadian teams playing in the final. Uh, but I, th- they're the team that's probably the biggest beneficiary right now uh, in terms of not having to play Boston in the next round. They get to play Florida, and if they can get through that, then the excitement level will certainly just get insane in Toronto. Uh, and then out west, it's, you know, with Colorado going down too, it's essentially Vegas and Edmonton playing to be a big favorite in the Western Conference Final. So the teams that are the teams that are very, very good that did not lose in the first round have a, you know, a, a much better path now and I think are looking around saying, all right, this is our opportunity. Stanley Cup odds. Uh, Maple Leafs plus 350. Oilers plus 400. Stars in next at 550, Knights 650. So, yes, by these numbers, you'd have a Canadian final, which we just mentioned the number one team not winning a cup recently. Canada, no cup since 93. Yeah. And not a lot of chances either. They haven't really even <laughs> been in the final that much. So, it, 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 would be, it would be crazy to see what it would be like in Canada. If that were to happen, if one team was to make it, if two, look out. So are you are you almost suggesting that this is the cup, like a cup preview, essentially, for I think, the Knights? I think the winner of that se- of the Knights Oilers series wins the West. Now the issue with that is you know when you have how many times we've seen this over the years, when you have a really tough series like that that you put everything into it and then don't have anything left and get upset in the next round. I mean, that happens all the time. But you would have to think the winner of this series feels very, very good about their chances being a pretty hefty favorite in the Western Conference Finals. For you, what are the negatives coming out of the last series for the Knights? Like, what do they still have to work on? There's not much. I mean, look, the the, the biggest thing that you have to worry about with Edmonton, no matter what, is the power play. Like, you can't commit penalties. And they did they did commit quite a few penalties in the first series. They were able to overcome quite a bit but you just can't you can't put them on a man advantage you, you I mean it's it's tough enough to defend them 
when they're at when you're at full strength and you can uh, you can try to match up lines and try to figure out how to get your better line, especially at home and against you know their top lines. But if you if you give them power plays, you are going to absolutely pay the price. So that's that's going to be the story of the series. Not going on not going on uh, the the kill, and then if you do, just hang on for dear life for those two minutes because that that is going to be a wild ride when you see the, those talented players out there trying to score a goal against only four guys. Right team favored? It's it's very close. I mean, to me, it's a, it's a pick 'em. That's how it should be. Uh, that's how I kind of lined it and thought about it going in. Um, I just felt I just feel like this is a a really tough series. I mean, if the Golden Knights can again kill off penalties and get you know adequate goaltending and more importantly not let a whole lot of shots get to the net uh, then they'll be right in it but Edmonton is going to try to play you know six five seven six eight five kind of games and I don't know that the Golden Knights really welcome that necessarily um, they can do it they can win at that they can win at that pace but you know dictating tempo and all that is going to be very important pretty rich number 155 Oilers yeah yeah <laughs> I mean, they've they've without, been without home ice, one fifty five. They've been, you know, I would say the best team that along. I mean, Boston's been great, but I think since you know since January, th- that's why I picked them to win the to win the cup. I mean, they've been unbelievable the last half of the year. But the Knights do have home ice, and they do have you know the the benefit of not being dragged through a you know a crazy physical seven game series or six game series, and um, they had a little bit more easy time and got to work their way into a little bit, and they're able to get some rest and get healthy. So uh, there's some advantages there too. Staycation time? Maybe. Friday, May 5th. Rio Vista Amphitheater in Laughlin. ZZ Top. Go see ZZ Top. Hang out in Laughlin. Ari's got a pair of tickets right now. 364-1100. Call her 7. Ticketmaster.com is you can get your tickets for uh, ZZ Top. It's this Friday. Amphitheater in Laughlin. Ari's got the ZZ Top tickets. Right now you can grab them at Ticketmaster.com. Six, or check that. 364-1100. Miss any of the show? We've got you covered. Head to lvsportsnetwork.com and go to podcasts to listen to all of your favorite LV Sports Network shows anytime from any place. Let's talk a little draft, talk a Raiders draft, get the grades on this thing from uh, one of the dudes who works for the 33rd team. Great football site. They've got a whole scouting department that put together grades for every team, but they were uh, particularly high on the Raiders, I uh, talked to Justin Casey, former scout in the National Football League with the Cardinals, and started off the conversation asking him for his thoughts on the Raiders draft and especially that first pick, Tyree Wilson. I mean, I think Tyree Wilson, he went right around where, where he should go. He has, he's got a high ceiling with, you know, rare length and athleticism for his size. You know, he's been raw. He was a little bit of a late bloomer, but, you know, when you look at his, uh, his pass rush win rate, it was actually higher than, than Will Anderson. Um, I think he has maybe a little bit higher athletic upside. You know, the, the, the injury, I guess, has been a concern, you know, going into the draft. Um, but you like the way he has the length and the ability to play with power and collapse pockets from the, from the edge. You know, he just – I don't think the scheme that they played there and how they used him, like, did him a lot of favors because he kind of moved around to the line a lot. And, you know, I think he was best when he was on the, the outside and where he could really use that – kind of that that explosion off the snap and that length to collapse the pockets off the edge with a runway. And you think he's mostly an outside player? Could he play inside? I mean, is there a scenario where they have Chandler Jones and Max Crosby and Tyree Wilson on the field at the same time? I mean, I think there is. I think, you know, when I when I when I was about him and I wrote my report, I said, you know, this was before I had any measurables, you know, on him. I was like, you know, if he's really 275 pounds, this guy easily has the frame where he could add some weight. 
know, he could play, you know, a five technique, four, four eye technique, you know, as well, kind of set the edge there. So there is that, that potential, um, you know, down the road. I just think it's like, he is kind of, he's a raw like baby in terms of what he could be. Justin Casey, 33rd team, uh, one of their scouts, a big scouting department. They've got draft grades up for every team. Uh, they were very high on the Raiders in, in multiple spots. On Friday, when the Michael Mayer pick came down from Notre Dame, second-round pick for the Raiders, our reaction on the air was, oh, another offensive guy, you know, Josh McDaniels, he loves offense. They need defense. But I think we've kind of settled into what this organization likes in their first couple of years, and they do like offense. Uh, but I think they believe they can find value on the back end, and and that's what they did. But let's talk about Michael Mayer because, listen, they have two pretty good tight ends already. They you know they already signed uh, with Waller gone to the Giants. What do you think of Mayer? Um, I mean, we had him 15th on our board. I don't think we ever had a mock draft where he wasn't going in the first round. Oh wow! So they got excellent value, you know, getting him early in the second round. You know, there's of the tight ends, he was like probably the most complete as a two-way player who's going to be a factor in the passing game, both in line and detached. He can um, block on the move. He can block in line. You know, he's not a killer, but but he's consistent in that area. He's got excellent hands. He has a natural feel, like, as a route runner. I mean, I think, you know, like, you player comp, like, kind of like a Jason Witten type, you know, Hall, you know, future Hall of Famer. Don't want to, like, yeah. But in terms of their play style, like, he's not like this – overwhelming athlete when you watch him move, but he just continues to produce. Uh, what do you think of what I said about the way the Raiders approach, say, the back end? Because I think a lot of people went into this draft saying, hey, they're going to they're gonna use some high picks on some cornerbacks, some defensive backs, and they did not do that. They did it in the middle of the draft, but what about that philosophy that uh, they don't believe they're going to you know, have to pay someone a, a boatload of money or draft guys real high to fill that defensive backfield? I mean, I don't, I don't know if, you know, if it's a was a specific philosophy that they went ahead with that, or if it was just kind of the way that you know things you know fell their way that they just that they took the best players you know at the time, you know I, I really do like Jacorian Bennett. I think that was it was a good spot. We had him ninety three hundred board, but I think that was right a good spot for him. He has starter potential. He has inside outside versatility. He's got big time speed. He had huge ball production. At Maryland, he has short area quickness to mirror match, you know, in the short intermediate areas. Um, so he's got he's got what you're looking for. He has pretty good length. He has pretty good size. He'll tackle. Um, you know, he while he had the elite speed uh, at the combine, I didn't think he always played that way. And I think that's partly because he has a little hip tightness. And when he tried to transition and run vertically, you know, it was a little slow to transition there. Um, but, uh, I mean, I think that was a really good value pick there in the fourth round. And he does have, you know, starter potential, but he should come in right away and be able to, you know, be a backup, contribute on special teams um, if he, you know, if he doesn't earn a, a you know, starting type role right away. We're breaking down the draft from the uh, 33rd team, part of their scouting department. Justin Casey is up on ESPN Las Vegas and Cofield and company. The, the one grade you guys uh, weren't so hot on was with Trey Tucker, which is an interesting pick because they have – in smaller receivers, they have Hunter Renfro, and they just signed DeAndre Carter. So, what do you think of Tucker? Tucker, he's he has the speed, but he did he doesn't consistently win downfield because he's very small and he doesn't have that big catch radius to go down and make those contested catches. You know where he really excels is in getting the ball in his hands and what he can do with the ball in his hands after the catch. And so, they may have a plan for him. You know, slot receiver, special packages, getting the ball where he get the ball in space and make something happen. Um, so I think he's more of a, you know, he's a more niche player in the way that we saw him. Um, but, you know, they may, you know, that's the one thing that's, that's uh, 
just so interesting. And, and the, what we all love about this process is, you know, everyone sees these guys so differently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's so many factors that go into play into, in terms of these guys' ultimate success that, um, you know, that's why you can't really make any decisions, you know, on how good or bad someone did until we see a couple of years down the road. So, you know, hey, we didn't have him as high, but but they did and they may end yeah. up being right. And, and uh, you know, he's got he has some traits for you to hang your hat on. I think this guy can do some good things for you. Can Aiden O'Connell play quarterback in the NFL, and can he play the? Uh, can he be in the backup position as soon as this year? Because I think that's the plan. He's going to compete for the backup spot, and they bring in Hoyer, um, who I think is going to be more of a mentor, not the backup. I don't know that he can be a backup anymore. So, what do you think, Aiden O'Connell? Um, I mean, clearly, the, now I didn't evaluate him. He wasn't one of the guys I, I studied a ton of, um, but he's got he's got good enough NFL size. He. From all accounts, he's extremely smart and a hard worker in terms of um, learning and applying his craft. The he he throws with pretty good accuracy, touch, and anticipation. He doesn't, I don't think, have great NFL arm strength, and I don't think he connected down the field um, at a high rate. Um, the turnovers a little bit concerned with twenty four interceptions the last two years. You know, I think that's that's kind of where why we had him a little bit lower on the board. Like he doesn't have though any like trait to really hang your head on. You know, he's not a great athlete in terms of making plays out of structure or, or, uh, you know, making any plays, you know, down the run, making any runs down the field and picking up first downs that way. You know, he's a pocket passer, you know, that I think is going to be able to process. And this is where the, they obviously in their process interviewing and spending time with him, they found something that were like, you know, we think this guy has a chance and, you know, putting a guy in the right environment in the right system um, can go a long ways at that position. So, you know, I hate to just, you know, to bag on a guy, bag on a guy, who's, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? That uh, He has, he was a very productive player in the big 10. He had some, some good games against big competition. So, you know, it, it was higher than what we would have selected, but there, there's got to be something there that they made that move. You want to check out the 33rd team. Uh, coaches on the staff include uh, Eric Mangini, Marty Morninweg, uh, Wade Phillips, Mark Tressman, uh, tons of former players like uh, Chris Long, Eddie George is on the staff. And the, the scouting department is awesome. The content up on the site is great. 33rdteam.com. And Justin Casey is with us. So let's hit a couple of questions before we get you out of here on the, the draft overall. First of all, um, very rogue pick, especially with the running back narrative. At number eight, the Falcons go with Bijan Robinson, and you guys gave that a good grade. Yeah, he's he's the number one. He was the number one player on our board. You know, this year was not an extremely strong draft for blue chip players, and in my opinion, he's one of he, he's one of the best running back prospects in the last twenty five years. Wow! And clean medical. Clean personal football character, elite talent, elite production at a high level. Um, you know what you're getting. Like he, he was a true separator from every other p- player at his position. You know, with Atlanta, they obviously decided to, to not go the quarterback route. That that was not something that they were going to p- pursue this year. Um, head coach Arthur Smith there, like they emphasized the run. They have a good offensive line. They they already have invested in some perimeter talent. They're they're giving the the young quarterback every chance to succeed um, this year, and they 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 actually they filled a lot of holes on their defense and free agency, so they didn't have this tremendous need to go somewhere else. So I think they actually felt like if they weren't going to go quarterback, they could take the best player on the board, hmm. and that was him. So 
And, and the other thing, just in terms of talking about the running back position, is last year you saw the the yards per carry average, I think as high as it's been in 15 or 20 years, and you've seen a lot of defenses go to softer off coverages and have smaller, quicker players you have smaller defensive linemen, smaller linebackers, and more defensive backs on the field. So what's a way you can differentiate yourself and your team if you don't have an elite quarterback? You can mash these smaller players. And I think that you saw that. I think that's where Atlanta went, and that's kind of – he came – you know, Arthur Smith came from Tennessee, and that's kind of what they've done to be competitive the last few years. So I think that's kind of what happened, you know, happened there at Jameer Gibbs – you know, we had him, I think, 21 on our board. We'd still, we, we still didn't think he was going to go to the second round because he is a smaller back under 200 pounds. But he is, you know, think Christian McCaffrey when you think about him in terms of he's not just a pure running back. He's a guy that can line up in the slot and actually separate with quickness and natural feel as a route runner like a slot receiver. So I think Detroit had a specific plan for how they're going to use him in their offense that he's not just a running back. Now I still didn't love the pick value where they, they took him, but I can see when you look at the totality of their draft and the other five, the other four players they selected, they got four starters and a potential developmental quarterback. So, you know, at the end of the day, they actually did well with the draft capital they had. They just did it in a different order than I would have done it. The yeah. 33rd team.com, the 33rd team.com. Uh, Justin, we appreciate it. Tell people what they can get up on the site. Cause I mean, the collection of names and, all the work you guys do behind the scenes, the content is great. I mean, it's a, it's amazing. We, you know, we have, you know, Hall of Fame players, um, Hall of Fame coaches, um, e- executives. I mean, we have like, I guess I'd call it, it's like a football think tank and uh, what we have going on there. And not to mention all the fantasy and, and, and content that betting content that's on there as well. But yeah, the, the my football minds that we have involved there are, are something um, that I don't think a lot of other outlets have. Well, great conversation. I appreciate it. Thanks for a couple minutes. Hey, thank you very much. Have a good one. There he is, Justin Casey, uh, scout with the 33rd team. Uh, check it out, the33rdteam.com. Uh, tomorrow we're going to be on the road. We're going to be over at Opportunity Village. Very cool. We'll uh, tell you guys more about what Opportunity Village does throughout the year. Uh, tomorrow actually is a big event for season ticket holders, season ticket holders only of the Las Vegas Aces. So we'll talk to some of the uh, members of the organization about – the upcoming season as they've got an exhibition game coming up on May 13th. The season opener just shortly after that as the Aces are back trying to defend their title. But tomorrow we'll be at Opportunity Village doing the live show. It'll be myself, Willie Ramirez. Marty Cordova is going to stop by as well. So good stuff. So part of the conversation with uh, Mr. Casey was the running back picks in the first round. And I want to see where Adam stands on the 8th pick and the 12th pick. Going to running backs, uh, maybe we've changed our tune on that. I still don't really understand how you can defend either pick.